please take your Bibles and open to Psalm 42. Psalm 42, um, the song we sang right before that one, Lord from Sorrows Deep I Call, is based on Psalm 42. This morning I hope to preach a sermon that will be medicine to your soul. I hope it will be something that is encouraging and speaks deeply to you and ministers to you. Now as you turn to Psalm 42, let me begin with a brief word about the authorship of this psalm. If you look at the inscription which is included, it says simply, to the choir, mas- uh, to the choir master, a mascal to the sons of Korah. Now, the great majority of biblical history regards this as a psalm of David, though the inscription I read does not say that explicitly. There are several reasons that scholars have argued that David is most likely the author. Let me just give you a few. First, David wrote psalms for public worship, and they were to be kept and preserved by the sons of Korah. And that's why the inscription reads, to or for the sons of Korah. Now, Psalm 88 has the same inscription as Psalm 42, but actually adds the author's name there at the end, which is He-Man the Ezraite. And so, if this was written by the sons of Korah, then this would be the only psalm that has multiple authors. And so, most scholars argue that's probably not the case. Okay? The the next reason is that this psalm uses first-person pronouns, like I, mine, me, as opposed to us, we, or our. Again, not written by a group of people, but by an individual. And third, the setting of verse 6, if you look at verse 6, the setting is is, is this person is away from Jerusalem. They're out out among the other nations, which is the setting of David's exile. And finally, the language is very Davidic. As you read through it, it's consistent with many other of his psalms. Now, While we can't say with 100% certainty that David is the author, even given those reasons, the theme of this psalm is very clear. This is a psalm about spiritual struggles. The psalmist here is struggling spiritually. They're going through spiritual depression, spiritual barrenness. They're in a very difficult time in their life. They're asking questions. They're seeking answers. Maybe David didn't put his name here because he knew that his struggles also applied to all of God's people. He wasn't the only struggler in the world trying to fight for spiritual health or dealing with spiritual issues. Whoever the psalmist is, they understood a simple truth. We are not always spiritually healthy. Amen? Can anybody say that? I, we are not always spiritually healthy. It's important for us to understand that our spiritual health is on a spectrum, like our physical health. We are sometimes healthy, and guess what? We are sometimes sick. And sometimes we're kind of in between, right? Like our mental health, we are sometimes doing well and sometimes under incredible mental and psychological pressure. Like our marriages and our family relationships, sometimes they are good and flourishing, 
And sometimes they are languishing and even failing. Like our financial health. Sometimes things are going well, but then sometimes we go through some very serious financial struggles. Now, while all of those things, with all of those things, and especially with our spiritual health, we can and will walk through valleys. And we will walk on top of mountains. We will walk beside calm, still waters. And we will walk through barren deserts. We will have spiritual winters and spiritual springs. We will have waves and storms, and sometimes there will be long, dark nights where we wonder if the sun will ever come up on us spiritually. And listen, sometimes we will go through that season not for days, not for weeks, but for years, even decades. As we walk through Psalm 42, I'm going to be speaking about the spiritual health and the struggles of believers. I want to say that at the beginning. The spiritual and struggles of the spiritual health and struggles of believers. Those who have been made spiritually alive by Jesus through the power of his spirit as they've received the gospel of grace. Believers are those who engage in this battle of spiritual health, and this is why Because outside of Christ, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 that you are spiritually dead. Death is not on a spectrum. Despite what Miracle Max says in The Princess Bride regarding Wesley. If you remember that scene, Miracle Max says, Woo-hoo, look who knows so much. It just so happens that your friend here is mostly dead. There's a big difference between being mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. Now that's funny, but wholly untrue regarding our spiritual life. So for those of us in Christ today, I want us to take a spiritual inventory of sorts about our current spiritual health. Let's do some soul care through this song. Our our world makes a lot about self-care, but you know how seldom they talk about your soul? Soul care is much more important. Much more important. So let's do some this morning. And ultimately what I want us to see is that we must fight for a satisfied soul in Jesus. We must fight for that. So let's read Psalm 42 together. It says this, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan, and from Hermon, and from Mount Mizar. 
Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. I want to ask two questions and provide some answers this morning. Here's the first question. What can affect our spiritual health? What are those things that can negatively affect our spiritual health? Now, many of us are aware of the things that can negatively affect our, spirit, our physical health, right? It could be simple things like not eating right, not getting enough sleep, not getting enough exercise. It could be putting habitually things into our bodies that are harmful, like drugs or tobacco or too much processed foods. These things over time wear down and damage our health. Similarly, there are forces and there are circumstances and there are habits that can lead to spiritual decline in your life. And here are a few from our Psalms. You might want to write these down. First, what can affect our spiritual health? First, a lack of spiritual fellowship with other believers. A lack of spiritual fellowship with other believers. In verses 1 through 4, we see that the psalmist here, if you look there at those verses, the psalmist here is longing to return to public worship among other believers. If this is David, then he's in exile from Saul. From Saul. He cannot return to Jerusalem to worship at the tabernacle because Saul will kill him. He can't attend the annual feasts and festivals that he's attended every year since he was a boy. The psalmist here reminisces about good past times when he would, quote, lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. He's looking back on better spiritual times in his life. Can you remember those in your life? Times of renewal and times of revival when things seem to be going better between you and the Lord. But now the psalmist finds himself in a position where there's a lack of corporate worship, a lack of fellowship with other believers, a lack of singing with the congregation of saints. And all of this is detrimental to his spiritual well-being. And, and this might not even be the psalmist's fault. This could be not due to a choice of his own, but due to his own life circumstances. But nonetheless, he's hurting spiritually. This isolation has led to spiritual dryness. He's spiritually dehydrated and weak because of it. Listen, spiritual fellowship and congregational worship are incredibly important to your spiritual health. Now here I'm obviously speaking to those that are in congregational worship. Those who have been kept away for seasons or for months or for times, they should know very well the effects of the spiritual dryness and dehydration this can bring on them. 
Listen, attending corporate worship and the fellowship of believers is incredibly essential. It is important. But also, hear me, for those of you that are not in small groups or Sunday school classes, coming to worship is important and critical, but also it is incredibly important to share your life and your struggles together in small groups. It's incredibly important because how can we bear one another's burdens if we don't know those burdens? How can we be personally and intimately involved in one another if we only look at each other side by side in one hour a week? Where are you sharing your life and your struggles and your burdens together? You can come to worship and be isolated. There's people in this room that do it every week. Listen, all of those things help us safeguard against spiritual dryness and isolation. Second, our physical and mental struggles can affect your spiritual health. Physical and mental struggles can affect your physical health, uh, your spiritual health. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. The psalmist isn't sleeping. In verse 3, the psalmist is mentally and psychologically distressed. The psalmist implies in verse 3 that the only thing he is eating is what? His own tears. That's his food. Day and night is his own tears. If you add to this the strain of being away from the comforts of home and being in a foreign place, as verse 6 says, this compounds that struggle mightily. All of those things bear down on his soul. His physical and mental struggles are impacting his spiritual health. Now, this is important for you to understand. Because the Bible gives us a holistic view of the human person. It is God who made you body, soul, and mind. All of those things are interconnected and inseparable. If you go back to the story of Genesis, God formed us from the dust of the earth and he breathed into us the breath of life and we became a living, embodied soul. To be human is to have a soul. To be human is to have a body. To be human is to have a heart and mind that works to reflect the God who made us. This is why, by the way, the greatest commandment in the Bible is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love Him with all of who you are. So it should not surprise you, it should not surprise us, when our spiritual health can affect our minds, hearts, and bodies. And when our physical, mental, and emotional struggles affect our spiritual livelihood. You can't separate it out and go, well, I'm doing really good spiritually, but I'm really struggling in body. They go together. They all affect each other. Listen, you can be perfectly healthy in body and at the same time be a wreck everywhere else and you're not completely healthy. All of those things are interconnected. Third, relational conflict and external pressures can affect your physical health. Look again at verse 3. The psalmist says, look what he's saying. They say to me all day long, where is your God? He's being these are, these are people in relationship with him that are bearing down on him. And look at the end of verse 9 into verse 10. He says this. He says, why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? 
Can you not feel the persecution and the oppression and the hostility? The psalmist is being squeezed from all directions. Spiritually, mentally, physically, relationally by those around him. And the psalmist says that this kind of treatment is the same as being physically wounded by a weapon. This relational pressure is the same as having an arrow in his leg. Just think about that. Again, this might not even be the psalmist's fault. If, he's in, if this is David in exile, he's out among the Philistines, God's own enemies, his enemies, and they're taunting his faith in God, saying God has abandoned you, and they're trying to convince him to leave his faith. Now, if this kind of hostility is hard from our enemies, think about this. If this kind of relational hostility is hard from our enemies, it would only be amplified if it came from those we love. Would it not? It would only be amplified if it came from those that we loved among our own family and friends. Think of Job going through his struggles, having everything taken from him, and then the only friends he, have le he has left, instead of helping him and ministering to him, they're trying to convince Job that it's all his fault. Think about what that does to our spiritual health and vitality. Fourth, God himself can put you in situations and circumstances that strain your, physical, your spiritual health. God himself can put you into situations and circumstances that strain your spiritual health. Look at verse 7. At verse 7, he says this. In this moment of clarity, he says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Now this is the image of ongoing and overflowing perils. Okay? The idea of one danger being followed by another danger and only spiraling into another danger to where it's completely out of control. It's, think of this. It's like being adrift at sea. As perilous and dangerous as that is to be adrift at sea, only to look up and to see a hurricane coming at you with full force of wind and waves. And the psalmist here sees all of those dangers multiplying and increasing. And then what does he acknowledge? That those are God's breakers. Those are God's waves. Those, that's God's wind. This is God's storm. All of these struggles come down under, on him under God's providential hand for reasons unbeknown to him. So just think, if this is David, it means that his exile from Jerusalem, his exclusion from public worship, his oppression by Saul and the Philistines, and every other thing weighing on his mind and heart are part of God's purposes for him. This again will be similar to Job's situation where God allowed all of that to happen as God allowed it. Fifth, and this isn't in the text, but there are two other things here that can affect you spiritually that aren't in the text but are absolutely true all over the Bible. And this is the fifth one. Our own natural disposition can be one of spiritual struggle and depression. Our own disposition, our own natural disposition can be one of spiritual struggle and depression. Listen. The Bible shows us, and church history shows us, that many of God's children are simply naturally disposed 
to spiritual depression and struggle. They tend to never be fully spiritually healthy or vibrant. They're like those born with some kind of disease that affects their physical health. Think of someone born with some kind of, uh, some kind of disease that affects their spiritual health or some kind of deformity that, help, that makes them handicapped or some, keeps them from, makes them disabled or keeps them from being able to fully function well. They're never fully well. Now listen, their salvation is never in question. But their experience of spiritual health and vigor is challenging and it's vexing. In the Bible, you see this in people like David, who, wrote, who probably wrote this psalm. You see it in people like Elijah, who, who struggles mightily with what's going on around him. Or if you've read Jeremiah and Lamentations, Jeremiah is, is bent towards this kind of depression. Even Ezekiel, you might even say Jonah, even though I would say he chose most of that for himself. They just seem to battle spiritual melancholy and depression. And in church history, if you've read about church history, it's people like Martin Luther who went through incredible battles in his own soul. Or William Cooper, Charles Spurgeon, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. They all had incredible spiritual struggles that they battled for decades. And they could never seem to shake it. That could just be your natural disposition. And then... Lastly, and this one should be clear to all of us if you're, if you're thinking, unrepentant sin, unrepentant sin, habitual besetting sin obviously negatively affects your spiritual health. You can't cling to sin and cling to Jesus at the same time, just like you can't cling to hardcore drugs and physical health at the same time. You just can't do it. Though it's not mentioned in this psalm, it is self-evident that sin, especially sin that is not being dealt with biblically or treated as serious, will negatively affect us. You cannot coddle sin and treat it as something that is unserious. It is an infection. It is a cancer. And if you do not repent, put it to death, kill it at the source of your heart's affection, then like poison, it will kill you. As John Owen famously said, you better be killing sin or it'll be killing you. There is no neutral engagement with it. So those are the things that can negatively affect us spiritually. So here's the second question. What can we do to strengthen our spiritual health? What can we do then to then put us on a path of spiritual health by God's grace? And there are three principles here that are essential. Three principles. First, Here's what the psalmist says. First, fight for spiritual nourishment and delight in God. It's a fight. Look at verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2, the psalmist begins with a declaration of his complete need and desperation for God. He begins there. He uses the image of a deer that's panting for water. This, this deer that's, that's searching for it, longing for it, it might have ran for miles, but the deer must have water or it will die. And the psalmist says here that he thirsts for God in the same way. He knows that his greatest need is God himself. Not a feeling, not some kind of experience, not some kind of crazy go to something and have somebody do something to you. 
He needs God Himself, the living God, who hears, listens, provides, and satisfies His deepest longings. And you see His desire for God in verse 6, where He's in turmoil, and He says, I remember God. He remembers, what is, he, he remembers not what is most important, but who is most important to our spiritual life. And he adds in verse 9 that God is his rock. Listen, in the battle for our spiritual health, it would seem that we look anywhere and everywhere, and we will try anything, but the issue is that we must fight for delight and enjoyment in God. Look at all those around the world. They'll run to crystals. They'll run to some experience in the wilderness. They'll run to some guru. They'll run to some something anywhere. But they fail to run to the one who made them. The one who made them to know him and delight in him. As I mentioned from C.S. Lewis last week, the issue is not that our desires for other things are too strong, but it's that our desires for God are too weak. In our spiritual battle and in our spiritual struggles, we need to remember that we must fight for our affections and fight for spiritual nourishment in God alone. Second, the second thing we must do is we must examine your soul. You must examine your soul and ask yourself hard questions. Not had questions, but hard questions. Ask yourself hard questions in these moments. The psalmist here wasn't passively going to walk through this battle for his soul. Okay? Think here about dealing with a nagging medical issue. We tend to ignore it and hope it will get better. How many of you tried that? You ignore it and hope it will get better. Some things will, right? Some things will. But some things won't. Some things need medical intervention. Sometimes the symptoms are just too great. Listen, we can't be passively waiting spiritually. You need to aggressively address the issue. So the psalmist here is doing a diagnosis on his own heart and soul. And a good doctor knows that his diagnosis is only as good as the questions he asks. If you ask the wrong questions, you get the wrong diagnosis. You ask the wrong question, you give the wrong answer, by the way. You get the wrong diagnosis, too. Sometimes you want to cover up your symptoms and not tell the truth to the doctor. And then the doctor says you have a toothache when, in fact, you don't. Your ankle's broken. Disconnected, right? Answer truthfully. Ask yourself hard questions. Look at verses 5 and 11. He asks this. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? What's going on? He wants to know what the root cause and issue is. What is causing this spiritual depression? What has led to this point? He asks in verse 9, Why do I go on groaning because of the oppression of the enemy? He's asking why his soul thinks that his enemies have so much sway over his spiritual health. Why are you worried about your enemies? Why, oh my soul, are you worried about them? He's trying to get to the bottom of his heart and his hope. It is right and good for you to take a spiritual inventory. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says this to the church at Corinth. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. He says, do you not not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? 
unless you fail the test. So ask yourself hard questions. Get to the bottom of it. The enemy wants you to ignore the symptoms. Third, and this is the third thing you must do after you ask those hard questions. You must speak truth to yourself in the midst of struggles. Speak truth to yourself in the midst of your struggles. Notice that the psalmist here addresses his own soul directly. He confronts his soul with questions and with truth. Look at verse 8. In verse 8 he says, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. Maybe his soul has been doubting the love of God and he absolutely goes at truth. And he says, despite how you think and how you feel, the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me. And in verse 5 and verse 11, he repeats this refrain. Oh my soul, why are you downcast within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. He commands his soul to hope in God. He talks to himself. He's not talking to others. He's talking to his soul. Hope in God. Right here. Hope in God. We must learn to speak truth against the lies of the enemy. This is why it is so important to speak the truth of the gospel to yourself each day. Despite what you feel, despite the pressures of the world, despite what's going on you, I am in Christ, He is for me, and on my worst day, I'm not beyond the reach of His grace, and on my best day, I still need Him desperately. Preach yourself the gospel. Martin Lloyd-Jones, that I said, battled this his whole life. He wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. I encourage you to read it. I encourage you to read it. He says this in that book. He says, I suggest that the main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this. We allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. You have to take yourself in the hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. This self of ours, this other man or person within us, has got to be handled. Do not listen to him. Instead, turn to him, speak to him, condemn him, chastise him, exhort him, encourage him, remind him of what you know. Instead of listening, listening passively to him and allowing him to drag you down and depress you. You have to learn to confront your doubts and your struggles with truth. No matter how you feel or what your mind and flesh try to convince you of, turn to the truth of God's word. Listen, life has a way of breaking us down, amen? The enemy and his minions have a way of breaking us down. The enemy has come to steal, kill, kill, and destroy. That's, why, that's what Jesus says. But Jesus has come to give us life. We need spiritual renewal. When you need spiritual renewal, when you need spiritual revival, when you need spiritual rejuvenation, spiritual restoration, that can only come through Christ Jesus. The spiritual health you are looking for is in Jesus. Those struggling this morning, hear the truth of Isaiah 42, 3, where, Jesus, where it says about Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break, 
A, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Let that be medicine to your soul. Jesus, I'm struggling, I'm hurting. I'm not a burning fire, I'm just a, I'm just a smoldering candle. That's all I have. There's not a bright flame. It's just a little smoke coming out of a wick. And Jesus says, I, I won't snuff that out. I won't put that out in you. Jesus, I'm broken. I'm bruised. I'm falling. I'm hurting. I'm a bruised reed. I'm about to fall over and die. Jesus says, I won't break you. Come to me. Is that not what Jesus promises in Matthew 11? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Right? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this morning, come find rest in Jesus. Is your soul thirsting? Come to the water of life and drink freely. Is your, is your soul hungry? Come to the bread of life and be satisfied. Is your soul in darkness and in despair? Come to the light of the world. And when we come to Him by faith, we find everything our hearts have longed for. Father, would you bless the preaching of your word now. And Lord, would you make it as medicine to our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name.